a big part of learning is being motivated to learn. So when I talk to uh, instructors, uh, I tell them, you know, the first minute or two of, of every lecture that you give, you have to convince people that they made the right decision to be here today. Right. And it sounds like a weird thing because some instructors might say, well, they're in the course. Right. They should be here. That's not the right place to start. Right. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. Of course. Um, I've been meaning to ask this. So for people in psychology, do you guys um, ever get this question, like, you know, about the kind of work you guys do? Do you ever get weird questions like, um, like can you read my mind? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a very common thing if I'm at a party or a social gathering and people say, you know, what do you do? And sometimes I hesitate to say I'm a psychologist because they say, oh, are you reading my mind right now? Right. Or are you analyzing me right now? So that's like a that's a very specific branch of psychology, clinical psychology. Right. So I'm not a clinical psychologist at all. Right. Uh, I'm an experimental psychologist, and specifically within that, I'm a applied cognitive psychologist. Right. And by that I mean um, cognitive psychology. We're interested in understanding how does the mind work. Right. So we study things like attention, memory in the lab, and. The really exciting part for me, though, is how do we take those findings from what we know about attention memory in the lab and then apply it into a real-world setting? So how can that inform educational practice, improve training? Right. And so that's the type of research that I do. Right. And uh, do you have any interesting stories about what you've learned um, during this with experiments you've done? Um, Well... Lots of things that we've learned. One is that uh, both students and instructors don't necessarily know what is best for learning. Right. So what people typically go on is, from a student's perspective, if you're coming from high school, if you're a good student, you typically will use the same strategies because they got you this far. Right. Uh, the big surprise happens, though, uh, at po- in part the sheer volume of information that you have to learn at university. So the same kind of last-minute cramming, very surface-level studying methods are not successful. Mm -hmm. They really don't transfer into uh, higher education Mm -hmm. uh, formats. Um, So those students who can successfully learn new effective study uh, habits, Mm -hmm. those are the ones that really get the most of their university education, mm-hmm. uh, where it's not just a grind, it's something that they really enjoyed learning, mm-hmm. and then they could go on to do uh, their next steps. Um, and university professors. So something that you know students are often surprised at are that university professors, they have a lot of specialized training. Uh, so I have a lot of specialized training <laughs> right. uh, in, in your research field. But you don't necessarily come into a job with a lot of teacher training. Right. And so what do uh, professors uh, use for how they teach? Well, probably the way they were taught. Mm-hmm. And how are those professors taught? By the way that they were taught. So lots of tradition. 
uh, and just kind of conventions dominate how people teach. But uh, they aren't necessarily the best way to do it. And a classic example, so some of the research that my lab has done on multimedia uh, learning, how should you design lectures? How should you design slides? Right. The worst case scenario is you just have a lot of facts that are on a lot of slides, bullet points, and the instructor just stands there back to the uh, class just reading them. Right. That's wrong for so many reasons. One, it, it's not organized. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard for a novice audience to understand. Like for the, for the expert, you can kind of see this and see the whole big picture. Right. But the big challenge is how do I get this novice audience to understand these big ideas? Mm -hmm. So you really have to organize that. The other part is motivation. So even uh, a big part of learning is being motivated to learn. So right. when I talk to uh, instructors, uh, I tell them, you know, the first minute or two of, of every lecture that you give, you have to convince people that they made the right decision to be here today. Right. And it sounds like a weird thing because some instructors might say, well, they're in the course. Right. They should be here. <laughs> That's not the right place to start. Right. Right. Um, is, the is right it, place right. to start is sort of like like a note of humility. Like, wow, these students, mm -hmm. they came here. They showed up here. Mm -hmm. We've all agreed to be here. I'm going to prove to you that this is worth your time. Mm -hmm. And so if you come in with that mindset, I think it even gives you a different approach and energy to what we're going to accomplish in the next hour together. Right. Is that how you approach your lectures, I'm guessing? Exactly. So right. every uh, lecture that I give in introductory psychology, uh, in my mind, I'm convinced this is the most important thing you're ever going to learn. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, then the next week, I think the same thing, too. <laughs> Actually, today, this is the most important thing that you'll ever learn because it's going to change the way that you look at the world. Right. It'll give you new insights. You'll see problems differently. It'll give you another tool to understand how humans think and behave. Right. I mean, it changes the way I look at things, too. I mean, I tell my friends when I took um, uh, 1X03, Psych 1X03 uh, last year in fall 2018, it completely changed the way I looked at everything. I really, really wished I had taken this course in my first year. And I recommended that to my friends after that who still had courses, who were, still, who were graduating also in April 2020. And I told them that if you have an elective left, think about taking one XO3. Because it really changed the way um, I was studying in the winter semester of 2019. And yeah, I mean, I, I always had something to talk about um, after each week's module. I mean, yes, they were a bit long. I'm not going to lie, but uh, they seemed really... But they were interesting, weren't they? They were really interesting. Yeah, very <laughs> engaging. And I was going yeah. through your, um, like, rate, on RateMyProfessors.com on kind of, t like, what people have to say, and that's exactly what they say. Mm -hmm. Like, although the modules are, uh, they're a bit long, they're really interesting to dig, dive deep into. And, and yeah. what I hope people, students, think is that it's worth the investment. Yeah. Uh, going through, learning this material, it's interesting uh, it'll give you insights and the way that we design right. uh, this course, which is the most of the students in the course are first year students, right. uh, is to also build in all of this structure so that they develop good learning uh, strategies and habits mm -hmm. from being in this course. So I'm trying to help them not to do just well in this course, 
but in all of their courses. So things that they learn in this course, I think, directly transfer into how you can prepare better for all of your courses. Right. I mean, I mean, the Pomodoro technique was the big winner for me when I found out about that. I didn't even know what that was until I took the course last semester. And I've been trying to, and I, and I apply that uh, even when I study anything now. Like, you know, when, I, when I'm doing um, work, I, I try to make sure because it, it, it's hard to... Um, it's hard to stay away from distraction in today's world because we've got so many devices. We've got so we've we live in um, this world of ubiquitous technology. We we're, we're always we always we always want to check our phones when we're we're always we we love distractions. And I think the Pomodoro technique helped me to uh, like to really focus on what I'm doing and you know just keep away to keep away of the devices for that for that period. I think it also makes you a better listener. It does because that's something that we talked about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think a part of having a good conversation is listening uh empathetically yeah. to what the person is saying right and um kind of reacting and going back and forth mm-hmm. um and in a world where people are constantly distracted they're on their phone a lot of people end up not listening yep. and they end up like i just can't wait till a lull in the conversation so i could get in my next interesting uh social media uh directed point to you right and get the credit for the one that actually brings this up mm-hmm. not even listening yeah like do you get are you offended when you're talking to someone and they're on their phone like do you take that as like a because i because when i when i like we have this rule like when i used to go out with um breakfast with some friends uh two, two three years ago um we should go to williams and we always have this rule where we keep our phones in the middle and so we could all talk and you know, we don't have the Snapchat or Instagram every damn, like, you know, meal we get. And, you know, that kind of, because that's, we know for a fact that, you know, using such, like, using social media while we're talking, it's, it's coming in the way of our, you know, natural conversation. So we always made it yeah. a point. Yeah. I think it's such an easy, lazy distraction to take over your experiences right. and replace high quality experiences. So just like in teaching, um, I think that, there will always be a place for face-to-face instruction. So in my introductory psychology course, we use a lot of technology. We have online web modules where students get the primary course content self-paced. But an equally important part of that is the face-to-face time where they come to a lecture with me, they come to a small group tutorial where they get to interact with each other and be accountable and not use their phones and social media. Um, I, I was just reading this really interesting parenting blog. So as you may know, uh, I use a lot of psychology in my parenting decisions. Right. And uh, this uh, writer was telling about this really interesting idea for hosting sleepovers. Uh, she made a rule that after 9 o'clock, she would take all the cell phones. And the reason why she did that was because... Um, you know, the whole point of a sleepover is eating, like, fun food, staying up late, talking. Yeah. But when she went to go check on them at midnight, what she found was that all the kids were just on their phones staring at them and not even chatting with each other. And once she instigated this rule, they had no choice but to just socially interact with each other. So there was much more laughing, conversations, uh, you know, deep connections. Yeah. And... I think that's what we need. That's I exactly think, what we need. I think there's definitely a time for using your phone, using technology and devices. But when you have a meal with someone, mm-hmm. you should have the meal with that person. Exactly. It's a social event. Right. Um, what made you get into psychology 
as uh did you have any like tell us about yourself when you were first growing up like where you're from and like what exactly um kind of uh triggered you to get into uh, triggers not the right word but like it's like what if what would you get into psychology uh well when i was in first year uh i took uh like a, a general science background right. so i took biology chemistry physics uh calculus psychology and out of all those courses my favorite courses were biology and psychology mm-hmm. and that's what made me decide that i'm going to go into an honors biology and psychology program mm-hmm. and then in my second year i realized that my favorite courses were psychology because i really wanted to understand human behavior why do we make the decisions that we do why do we behave that the way that we do and i wanted to understand this at many different levels that are studied across psychology neuroscience and behavior mm-hmm. uh and so that's what decide uh, helped me decide to go into grad school and do a phd right uh studying uh experimental psychology right and how was experience when when you were like at, at mac like you know like typical you know midterms oh god and then- um so i think i was just like a typical first year student um I did well in high school mm-hmm. and um I don't think I, I I wasn't trying my hardest. I just I think I have a pretty good working memory. Right. And so I think I could get away with just memorizing things at the last minute mm-hmm. and then doing fairly well. Uh and then when I came to first year university, uh it was a big shock for me right. as well. Um I was uh I failed uh the first uh midterm that I took in biology. Yep. So did my roommate. Right. And my roommate said at the time, well, we're smart. It can't be us. The test must have been unfair. <laughs> Let's go complain to the prof. And right. I said, oh, I don't know. He goes, just come with me. You don't have to say anything. <laughs> right. So uh, the professor was Professor Davison. Right. So he's still an emeritus prof here at McMaster University. So if he's listening, this uh, maybe he'll remember <laughs> the story. Right. And um we went to his office and on his desk were 400 midterms and my roommate just started complaining and saying this test was so unfair and after a while he starts losing his patience uh he grabs a midterm and says and he flips through and he goes look this pr- student even got this question and i actually remember the question he doesn't this student doesn't even know what rifflips is it stands for <laughs> restriction fragment length polymorphism right Out of the 400 tests on his desk, he had randomly selected my test. Wow. And he That showed it to me. He crazy. waved to me. Can you believe this student? <laughs> and I just said, "Yeah, I can't believe it." What were the chances that out of the one in 400? One in 400. Yeah. So did he kind of like so how did you what was your reaction after that? Did you I was absolutely shocked. Did you play dumb uh, like, "Oh, oh yeah." Yeah, <laughs> I just played off like I I couldn't believe this student uh was that careless. They got that simple question wrong. Mm-hmm. But It was also a wake up call for me. Right. Made me realize I have to actually work hard here. Mm-hmm. I have to actually do things if I want to be successful uh in university. And so I I did. So I mm-hmm. really did change uh to try to do uh things that I thought would be the best way and it was a slow process of trial and error. Right. So would you say that after that midterm was that the only midterm you failed or was it always like it was always like uh You were on you were on a mount like you were climbing after that like was that always? um I can't quite remember I mean mm-hmm. um 
I don't remember failing any other <laughs> midterms. Uh, but I think my grades were okay, but they steadily got better and better right. as I went through. And then I really peaked uh, in my fourth year right. when I was applying for grad school. Right. What's your What's your take on failure? Like, what do you think? Do you think it's- failure is important? Right. So there's a concept that some people think uh, called errorless learning, where say you're trying to learn something and you never make a mistake. Some people think that is the goal, so you never uh, encode an error. But right. that's an outdated idea. <laughs> failure and making mistakes are very important uh, because they provide new information, and new insights. You, oh, this doesn't work. So now I have to try something else. <laughs> and the most important thing is getting feedback on the errors that you make and then making corrections to those errors. So you're far, you'll learn more if you make errors and then you correct those errors compared mm -hmm. to a situation where you're just in a situation where you never make any errors. Mm -hmm. like, so my daughter mm -hmm. right now is learning her <laughs> multiplication tables. Right. Uh, so here's a complaint that I have. So school systems now uh, have taken away um, memorizing multiplication tables. Right. I think you have to memorize multiplication. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's just a language. It's vocabulary. So if you want to do advanced math concepts, you have to know the multiplication tables. If you have to look them up or discover the answer every time, uh, it's very um, inefficient. Right. So what's the process now? So you don't, they don't memorize it. They just have to, there's, I'm guessing there's They like do activities to, to discover, which okay. is also important, but I think they have to go hand in hand. I think you have to understand what does five times five mean mm -hmm. and it not just know the answer like uh, blindly that's 25. Mm -hmm. You have to understand what that actually means. Right. So I think these processes go hand in hand. And when my, so we have a flashcard app mm -hmm. that she uses, and there's several things built in called space retrieval practice. Uh, right. So she spends just a few minutes in the morning, mm -hmm. a few minutes at night. Uh, and when she learns a new uh, level, like she's on the six times tables now, mm -hmm. she can't forget about the rest. Those are also mixed in. Mm -hmm. And at first, whenever she made a mistake, she would, kind of get uh, annoyed with herself and I said no mistakes are fine <laughs> like right. understand why you made that mistake understand what the correct answer is right. and then make a correction and move forward right and so I tell her I make lots of mistakes all the time right uh, especially as a scientist if I'm trying to figure out something new I'm going to make lots of mistakes along the way mm -hmm. But I'm going to use those mistakes to make other decisions in the future so that I can actually make discoveries. Right. When you were a kid, how did your parents deal with you making mistakes? I'm very curious to find out about this. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I guess it depends on the type of mistake uh, right. I was making. Right. So if I was doing things like you climbing a tree yeah. right. or doing sports, I think they really encourage me to do everything. Um, here's a parenting mistake that they made right. uh, with me. They tried to get me to learn to play piano because wow. they thought it would be great if their firstborn son played piano. Uh, I was not motivated to play it at all. And I had a terrible grade one piano teacher mm -hmm. that every single mistake I made, 
I heard about it and I was punished uh, and made to feel terrible about any mistake that I made. Uh, in that case, it's not only bad for learning uh, from, a, uh, you know, from a pure learning science perspective, it's terrible for motivation. And in fact, it just killed any interest and passion I had. And so I quit piano in grade one. Wow. Yeah, so the world yeah. lost a potential mediocre oh, pianist I could, I could only tell. because of that teacher. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, because it, it's always important to really, really motivate people when they make mistakes because we all make mistakes eventually. We have to accept we're human beings and there's going to be mistakes we always make. And it's how we learn from those. I think that's the thing that um, – because I think when we're growing up, we're programmed into believing that failure is bad. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be failing. But instead, we should be treating failure as a different, as changing our own perspective on failure and actually, like you said, like treat, treat it as an opportunity to learn. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a really interesting um, uh, approach. I forgot exactly what it's called, but I saw on Twitter where uh, famous scientists or other people who are very accomplished, uh, they post uh, their resumes, right. their anti-resume. So a resume shows everything that you've been successful at. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at that, you think, like, wow, this person just, they're made of, everything they touched is gold. They've, they've never messed up anything. But the point of this resume was, here's all the things that I failed at. Here's all the grants that I never received. Here's all the journals I submitted articles to that rejected me. Here's all the jobs that I applied that I never got. And I think that is so powerful because that shows what's underneath the hood. Yeah. (laughs) What's really driving this successful person. Mm -hmm. If all you see is the success, you're not seeing all of the mistakes and so-called failures along the way Mm -hmm. that built this path. Like think of yourself, like say you're you're part of a – like the HR, and you're hiring someone for your company. Would you like to? Would you want to see that resume with uh, with failures on? Or well, okay, thought? I'll yeah. tell you a story. Yeah. Um, uh, I won't use this person's name because okay. I don't want to embarrass this person. But uh, I know a really, really smart student. Right. That um, she's very intelligent. I don't think she's failed at pretty much anything in her life. That's and a good thing, though. It- I invited. Uh, she was selected to be uh, to interview for a teaching assistant position right. in introductory psychology, and she made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. Didn't do that well. I gave her feedback on how to improve, and it was such a shock to this person to have failed and not gotten the job that in the next year she didn't even bother applying. Wow. Right. So normally. And say, well, if that's if that's how this person's going to be. But I knew this person mm-hmm. to be a highly motivated uh, and, and intelligent person that I thought would be a great TA. And so I told her, you know, why didn't you apply? And she goes, well, I didn't get it last year. And I said, is that the first time you've ever failed at anything? And she goes, well, it's the biggest thing I ever failed at. Then use that. Wow. I gave you specific feedback. Use that, energize yourself, motivate yourself to give an even better interview this year because I want you to apply. And then during that interview, yeah, sure enough, she gave the best interview mm-hmm. of the entire uh, pool and uh, she was hired. Mm-hmm. 
it's failure is like it's it's an opportunity for us to look at look at ourselves objectively and i think that's one thing i personally struggle with a lot like you know i um i've been told i don't take criticism really well especially now because you know when i especially when from friends are telling me okay you should do this you should do that and i'm like yeah yeah i'll, I'll do it i'll do it but i for me I, I always look at it i always sometimes take it personally and that's one thing i'm trying to work on also and that's exactly and you're right like the example you gave well when you say criticism uh i think there's different ways to give criticism mm -hmm. and uh just like you have to be an empathetic listener mm -hmm. i think you have to be an empathetic critic right so if you're really trying to help someone if your mindset is wow i see a lot of potential in this person if they could just work on these things you know they could be amazing right, right. if you're if that's your mindset mm -hmm. you're going to give the same critiques in a very different uh manner from you know what this person's terrible i'm just going to bring them one notch lower right and the same facts could be presented but the way that you present that criticism uh that's one part the other part is you know maybe some people are overly sensitive to criticism right everyone can improve yeah um so we were talking earlier about do i get nervous when i'm giving a lecture um every single lecture that i give i know it could be improved even though i think like wow that was a great lecture students were really into it I can find little mistakes. Every lecture I go to, I can see, wow, I love the way they did this. I'm going to use that in my lecture. <laughs>